Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. And today we have with us uh, Riaz Megji, who is a human connection expert. He is a longtime TV veteran. Um, he is the author of the book, Every Conversation Counts. He's done a whole lot of stuff. We'll get into that. And he's also one of the perfect people for the time we're in with virtual human connection. So Riaz, thank you so much for coming on and joining us here. It's good to see another human in person. So <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here beside you, Brian. Now you've been somebody who's been on camera, you know, pretty much your whole life, you know, uh, 20 years, uh, you know, hosting shows, MTV Canada, uh, The Breakfast Show, um, doing so many of these different things. Uh, how has that sort of prepared you for this new world of somebody who is making human connections in this virtual world. You know, the, the number one thing uh, of the camera of, I don't know what camera we're on right now, Eric, we're right we'll here. We'll just it's, pick one. This is the eye contact. Like that <laughs> is the number one thing when, when you have that uh, experience uh, of working as a broadcaster, you're trained to, to look directly at one person through that lens. And I've found in virtual meetings or virtual presentations, there's still the tendency because we want to read the body language of somebody else. If, if I'm talking to you right here and then I'm now I'm reading Brian on the screen <laughs> and then I, I may look disinterested if I do it. So I think it's the comfort with the camera. And when that, you know, green light, if it's on or red light on, on your computer turns on, there's this psychological thing that happens, and I would see this with leaders when I'd interview them, is in the green room, it's all cool, calm, and relaxed, and then when the camera's on, it's how am I sitting, I'm now being judged, am I saying the right thing? Mm -hmm. And then we start thinking about ourselves and forget about the person in front of us and how we can serve them. So I think that that repetition over 20 years has provided a bit of comfort to remove the distraction, focus on the subject in front of me or the audience one-to-one, -one, and then just give them the best experience possible. Now this is a bit off because obviously we're talking more about you know human connection um, for, and uh, you know the five different ways to sort of build that connection. But uh, you also work a lot with executives and you see these companies how they've adapted to this new world. What are some advice you can give whether you're a manager connecting with people online or uh, you know a, a CEO running a company? What advice would you give to them in addition to what you just shared? The number one thing that I've seen with, uh, especially building trust and connection with teams virtually in this hybrid reality is how leaders can call people up, not call them out. And in a virtual meeting, uh, for example, one of the biggest pain points I hear is, well, how do I get people to turn the cameras on? The, <laughs> I can hear them, but are they multitasking? What is going on? And establishing expectations beforehand and allowing somebody to succeed with it. If we were gonna have you know, a big team meeting and we were pitching someone together to give them that notice to say, hey, we're gonna have this experience We'd love to see your cameras on because we want you to participate. We'd love for your feedback. Or say you and I have other team members, Eric, you don't see uh, he, the production guru here. If we wanted Eric to participate, let him know beforehand mm -hmm. that Eric, we wanna see you, we wanna hear you on this so he can prepare his backdrop and he can prepare what he's gonna say. And I almost liken it to what you see on a traditional newscast. Mm -hmm. You would never see a six o'clock newscast with one person the whole time telling every single story. You, you're, you have emotional contrast with storytelling, you have visual contrast with, with um, whether photos or video you're gonna throw to, but you have a bit of production saying, Eric, we're gonna come to you about 10 minutes in, so just be ready and let them know beforehand so nobody's caught off guard and then it allows everybody to succeed in this medium because it can be unpredictable. And the other thing is roll with the punches because no matter how much we plan this, 
no matter how much you hardwire your internet in or upgrade the connection you've got, uh, anything can happen. And having worked in live television for over a decade, over the course of you know these two decades interviewing people, some of the most memorable moments were when things went sideways and your true character is revealed when that happens. And then people appreciate the humanness that it's not about perfection, it's just we're doing the best thing we, we can do and we're gonna roll with it to, to make the experience as good as possible for, for people watching. So with a lot of people, you know, it's that first step is getting comfortable on camera. And the second one, production, you know, different things to add in are really intimidating. What's the first thing someone should add in if they're doing a presentation for their group or for, uh, for their whatever audience they may have? I believe audio. Audio is more important than video. I know this medium is, is so valuable to, to build connection and trust so they see you, they can read your, your body language. But if your video started crapping out but your audio is crisp, you will still keep your audience because they can hear your message. And some people, they, they are used to having no camera on. But if it's the reverse where you've got these beautiful visuals, amazing lighting like we have in here, awesome backdrop, but they can't hear you, you've lost them. And I would say double down on making sure that audio is going to be as tight as possible and creating a space that you're going to be comfortable in. You know, some people will say, should I sit? Should I stand? I believe understand where you're most powerful, where you're most natural to, to deliver what you can deliver. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the best things you've learned? So you've interviewed leaders in business and politics and entertainment and sports, you know, over this, you know, two decades. Um, what are some of the most important things you've learned during that time of your life? Mm. Well, one of the habits uh, in the book, Every Conversation Counts, really talks about how we listen without distraction. And the notion of any interview that if, if it's a new client or it, you know, it's an exercise like this because podcasting is so big, is the idea of over-preparing to improvise. Mm -hmm. Because that preparation of reading the blog post and 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 uh, maybe reading the book they had, a movie uh, that they were in, that's gonna give me confidence that you know I, I understand, I care about them, um, but the ability to listen, lean in and improvise in that moment, because you might give me something that I wasn't expecting. Like I remember the first time we met and you were telling me about your personal life and your children, and I, I was evolving to that about the idea of you know a adoption and family, and that stuck out to me, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't see that on, on the blogs at all, <laughs> but it allowed us to have a genuine conversation so over-preparing to improvise I think is so big and anytime you talk about listening uh, and the idea of distraction, especially virtually, it's such a challenge because the research shows that like we are too smart for our own good. Mm -hmm. Like our brains can absorb four to 500 words per minute yet us in a conversation or the average speaker is going at a rate of 125 to 150 words per minute. So if we are... Uh, not really uh, intentional about giving someone our undivided attention and getting drawn away with technological distraction, mm -hmm. the emotional distraction if we disagree, or maybe just get caught up in daydreaming, we could really miss that moment with somebody. So I think it's one, becoming uh, aware of how we listen, um, how we give someone our attention, and then audit ourselves and pick these things out that get in the way one-on-one, -on -one, or one-by-one. -one. And then once we uh, heighten our level of awareness, just be prepared to improvise in the moment because you never know. I found the greatest interviews were when I discovered something that you couldn't find on Google. Do you have a, uh, an experience or, or story that goes along with that of, you know, whether it's preparation or listening that really opened up something for you besides my little conversation, our, our conversation a couple of years ago. Yeah, there, there was a very powerful interview that happened three, I guess, uh, 
depending on when you watch this, I'll just say it was in 2017 and I walked into the green room and there were two leaders. One of them, uh, his name was Jim Tree Living. And in Canada, I'm from Vancouver, BC. In Canada, Jim is the chairman of Boston Pizza International. And he's a popular judge on Dra uh, Dragon's Den, uh, which in the States, you guys have Shark Tank. And his wife, Sandy Tree Living, uh, she is like a force for good because they focus a lot in the mental health space. And mm -hmm. she is a director on the board for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. So that day I walked into the green room, had never met them. We exchanged formalities. And one of the questions when I talk about over-prepared to improvise, uh, a cold stop, I would just say, so, you know, wh what's on your mind? And I, I would always pause because the things they would give me, even if I had researched, I, it would allow me to prioritize their priorities of what their message is and what they want to get across. And they started talking about how the mental health campaign, they were champion, uh, championing mental health uh, uh, advocates in Canada that had overcome this great adversity. So they were telling their personal story. And when I asked them what they really wanted to share on air, because you know how it is in broadcasting, you only have five to six minutes max. We get out there on camera, Sandy starts opening up about her brother who lived with schizophrenia and what that meant mm. to her. And Jim started talking about his life as an his past life as an RCMP officer. And then he takes it one step further saying he saw the challenges of mental health on the front line. And we needed to pay more attention to this. And this era we're living in now of mental health, I mean, you can't see the challenge that people are going through and sometimes they might hide it. But Jim took it one step further and I'll never forget this moment where he said there was a conversation he had with his nephew who was 16 to 17 years old at the time. And Jim lived in Alberta, Canada, and his nephew came up to him and said, Jim, can I use your gun to go hunting? And Jim obliged, and that nephew used Jim's gun to take his own life. Mm. That was never online. That wasn't something that he openly shared, but he felt safe in the space. And you could hear a pin drop. This was for the show. Uh, we were live on TV for Breakfast Television Vancouver. And you could hear a pin drop in that studio, but he felt safe enough in that conversation to open up and share that. And he asked a question that I think resonates to this day. He said, how did I fail to recognize the signs? And that always stuck with me as a leader to have the courage to go first about something that's impacted you in your life. And they used that in a powerful way to transform from tragedy to a sense of triumph to empower people to open up and talk about mental health. But that question, are you recognizing the signs in your people, I think is so relevant now more than ever as everybody's battling their own set of challenges in, in this remote work uh, lifestyle that we're caught up in. I think that's really important too. One of the things you talk about, I know we're kind of skipping ahead to number five, but you know, making people feel like a, I don't know if celebrity is the right word, but like that they're important, that they are uh, meaningful enough to you to share those things. And sometimes yeah. it's, it's in an interview format. Sometimes it's just two people talking. Um, and you know, you talk about loneliness as well. Um, where do you feel like leaders make the best connection there? How can they set their people up to feel like they're that important enough where they can share these vulnerabilities? Yeah, so th there's two things that stand out to that of how they can share those vulnerabilities. There's a, a great psychological term known as the Pratfall effect, where if a leader wants to create this space of psychological safety and they go first, and this is something I champion about putting aside perfection and really going first with what's going on, that can be a powerful exercise to create connection and bring people closer to us. But under the Pratfall effect, if we haven't established our point of authority, or earn that respect first, 
that could create a sense of distance and be considered an overshare if people are questioning our competence as leaders. So it's almost how can we convey credibility before vulnerability? I think that's really important in this space. And you know, I think of the example of remote work where somebody is joining an organization and they're a part of the group and they haven't met anybody in person and their first day on the job can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. They could feel alienated, they could feel stressed out, but if they're looking to that leader in the group, in the meeting saying, I remember the first time I started here, this one was going through my mind, <laughs> I was so anxious, it, uh, it eliminates that sense of I'm alone with this problem. It's, oh, okay, Riaz and Brian, they went through this too. This is okay to open up and share. So going first, I think, is a big part of it. And being intentional with documenting people's details. I mean, in meetings, we're great with this. Mm -hmm. We're always taking notes to say, hey, okay, who's, who, you know, who, who's transcribing? What's, what's happening here? But on a personal level, I think one of the greatest compliments we could give to one another is, hey, do you mind if I take notes? And it shows to that person, one, you're listening, two, what they're giving you is of immense value. And if we're able to follow up with them a week, a month, a year down the line, and instead of saying, hey, Brian, hope you're well. But if we're saying, hey, Brian, you know, how, how's the family, man? How are the kids during this pandemic? I've been thinking about you during this time. It personalizes the fact that, you know what? I care about you. I listen to you. And you know what? You can trust me. We're in this together. And I think those simplicities have a way of elevating somebody's importance to say, Brian saw me here. He remembered what's going on with me. And you know what? I do matter. I am important in this situation. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I know you and I have shared, you know, you know, a couple of years ago is just with family and everything else. How as now my wife doesn't always listen to me. How, how, did the, how, how much of this have you learned from your wife? How much has, has she gotten from you and how have you kind of moved through this time together? <laughs> I love this question because my wife is an entertainment lawyer. Oh, okay, so okay. She, she is queen of quality control. <laughs> we'll have to edit this part out right here. <laughs> but before I got married, one of the best things somebody said to me that whether it's a marriage partnership, business partnership, or just with your friends, they said to me, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? Mm -hmm. And there's a great deal that two greatest things I've learned from interviewing leaders for a living is one, they have a sense of discipline, mm -hmm. that they're willing to do the work and they have a beginner's mentality that in the expert's mind, there are few options in the beginners. There's infinite possibility. Uh, keeping that in mind has kept, uh, has kept a really positive relationship with my, myself and my wife. And it's tough at times when you disagree, when we're both working from home remotely, trying to shift out of each other's space. Um, you know, th that's been a big part of this, of just open communication and, and, and honesty. And I think the second part is the humility. That I may think it's gonna work a certain way, but the beautiful thing about our relationship is that she deals with high-end clients and, you know, egos are involved in the entertainment world of how to disarm somebody and get them on your side. Like one of the habits we talk about in this book uh, are, are really about having and leading with assertive empathy and acknowledging somebody and discovering before you're quick to dismiss. And I think you know, there's, there's a great deal of anxiety right now. People are triggered and they're very defensive. So it's, it's been a great learning experience with us. Some days are better than others, to be honest, but uh, it's always just staying open and, and sharing the truth. And if you do that, uh, there's, there's no harbored resentment. It's just, how do we work through this? So we're on the same side of the problem instead of, hey, it's me versus you. Well, I love, I love how you, uh that phrase of assertive empathy. I know that's one of the, your other keys. Um, can you walk through that? Because I'm almost like, oh, aggressive empathy. But assert, what is, <laughs> like, that's so, uh, but what is assertive empathy and how do you build it? 
It really puts the relationship first, logic second. And under the idea is how can we act and lead with a sense of discovery? Sometimes if we have to relay negative news, we get caught up in how difficult that is for us of having to witness somebody's reaction of how that's going to be. So assertively checking ourselves to understand that this could be difficult news for somebody. There could be resistance here. But if we can lead in a way with a sense of discovery and putting the relationship first and, uh, for example, using expansive questions that start with a how or what instead of a why, because the why could come across as aggressive, condescending, and lead to somebody else being defensive. But, you know, how, how do you feel about what I just shared with you? You know, what do you need right now? What would it take for this to work for you shows that I'm wanting to listen to you first and understand it. And then when they've shared something, staying in it with them and really labeling the sense of emotion that they may be relaying back to you of, hey, okay, it sounds like this. It feels like this is what it looks like. And then, you know, allowing them to say, yes, that's exactly what's going on. So they know they've been acknowledged, they've been heard. And then at that point, transitioning to the logic part of it, of focusing on what we can agree on, mm-hmm. of, okay, so what is the real challenge here for you? And what does your ideal scenario look like? And then when they start sharing those types of solutions, that allows us to find the common ground, because there's always going to be common ground. But when we come in and we can be emotionally distracted if we disagree and then shut off, then it's a competition. It's not a collaboration. So the listening piece, the acknowledgement piece, and then focusing on the logic of how do we do this together uh, allows us to really operate in positive ways. And, you know, there was great research from the University of Wisconsin, and this came out like maybe seven, eight years ago, that talked about how to create a safe space in difficult conversations. And they said the number one tool that you could do is use is, is the use of I statements. Like, Brian, you know, I'm feeling frustrated with what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling exhausted with our process. You know, what's the question I fail to ask to understand your reality? Uh, how could I show up for you more? And this takes ownership as opposed to, well, you always do this, you know? <laughs> you need to calm down, just relax. Uh-huh. And as soon as you put that on somebody else, it heightens the tension. So disarm it by really putting the relationship first and then introducing the logic that allows us to collaborate in productive ways. So one thing I've always found interesting is people who are experts in a certain area, uh, you know, with you, with human connection, that um, sometimes they have a natural ability for certain things, and sometimes they're terrible at it. So out of your five keys, I think we've, I think we've covered most of them here, but where, which one of the five is the most natural for you, and which is the one that required the most work to, to uh, put into place? Mm, okay, so out of the five, and, and I'll list out the, the five quickly just to recap. Uh, so listening without distraction, make your small talk bigger, put aside your perfect persona, be assertively empathetic, and make people feel famous. Uh, for me, being the interviewer, the listening piece, uh, I, I feel, has been uh, the, the skill that's allowed me to succeed and really connect with people and draw out moments like I explained with Jim and Sandy Tree Living. The challenge, I, I still to this day, the assertive empathy is something that I got to work on because if I'm not in the m- right mind frame or uh, I haven't had a good night's sleep or I'm irritated going in, uh, you know, I remember doing an interview with Dr. John Gray from, you know, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And we talked about this very thing about conflict and difficult conversations. And he said, at some point, if it gets heated, he's like, just stop talking. <laughs> just stop talking. He's like, check yourself and own the fact that, you, you know what, you just need to take a break where you could recalibrate, understand your thoughts, uh, remove the emotion 
and then come back in a positive space to get to where you want to get. And it's so simple to say, stop talking. But sometimes it's hard to practice because we get defensive and our egos can take over. And I think this is something I try to work on every single day. And, and sometimes, you know, especially in the remote world, being completely real, it's difficult. <laughs> you know, my wife and I share a space together. It's difficult uh, to do this. And for people that, you know, are sharing a space, they have kids, you're exhausted, you're grateful you have family, and you're trying to find that balance. And I think assertive empathy is one of the greatest uh, ideas and skills that we all need right now, uh, given the polarized climate that we live in on so many different issues. How do you make small talk bigger? It starts with the approach. Like when we introduce two words that say small talk, <laughs> I guarantee half of the audience watching this, maybe you're watching this right now thinking, Oof, I dread it. I, dread, I don't want it to have anything to do with it. And I think it's the way we approach small talk altogether that it is a defense mechanism instead of an opportunity. Because if we break it down, small talk in many ways is a defense mechanism to prevent us from the embarrassment of getting emotional in front of someone we don't know. Or maybe uh, just protecting us uh, to avoid the emotion someone might show if we trigger them and we're not ready for it. And I, you know, the thing that I, I say with small talk is less info, more emotion. Like if I have no context of the person in front of me, as an interviewer, you know, we get the chance to prepare, you know, read a book, watch a movie, do, do what we need to do to understand the subject. But the late uh, psychiatrist Gordon Livingston did amazing work on the happiness equation. And when I dialed into his work, there were three ideas of how to make small talk bigger if you have no context and it's a complete stranger in front of you. And he found that the happiest people had three things in common. They had something to do, they had someone to love, and they had something to look forward to. Each of these have a high emotional component on a personal level. And sometimes when we're asking questions, you know, I talk about the expansive questions of, you know, how we tap into that emotion, how and what allow people to open up with, you know, how they're feeling, how they're thinking, uh, why, obviously, as, as we mentioned, could lead to a conf confrontation if it's, uh, you know, considered condescending, but who, when, and where are simply informational transactions. It's like the conversation comes to a cold stop. But if we're able to tap into emotion with those three examples from you know, Livingston or using the how and what, that really opens things up. And then asking for stories, not just answers, because that's, you know, that's where the magic happens. You know, I, I think of the stories people share. I think about the story you shared with Robin Williams and booking him and, and his writer saying he had to have homeless people that come in and work on the production. That stays with me because that's a powerful story about human connection. Mm -hmm. He's not just about him as a speaker or performer coming on stage. He's about the greater good that everyone can be elevated and there's something to be learned from uh, people from all walks of life. Riaz, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories about human connection and, and what you've learned from leaders and how you're affecting leaders and managers today. So we really appreciate you coming on and sharing that. Awesome, man. Can I give you a fist bump? Oh, is yeah, that, is absolutely. That yeah, no, I'm, you know, Eric would probably come over here and give you a big hug. He's really a uh, silent producer, Eric. Vir virtual here. hugs for everybody. Virtual hugs hey. for everybody, yeah. So thank you. So everybody, thank you for uh, tuning in here for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, all those sorts of things. And you can check out more about Riaz on our site, premierspeakers.com. So on behalf of Premier Speakers and nationalspeakers.com, thanks for listening and watching. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.